in this section right now that deals with what I would consider almost random proverbs. We've been doing that since chapter 10 and verse 1. And there have been some shifts. Chapters 10 to about 14 or 15 were almost all opposite proverbs. Then we moved on to not such a great percentage of opposite proverbs. There are some kind of sections like that may deal with more proverbs about the Lord or more proverbs about the king or things like that. But mostly you don't see a lot of context. It's just like one proverb after another. And my thought that I've expressed a few times has been these proverbs kind of come at you like life does. Sort of random. And because when you are living your life, you don't just need one thing at a time. You know, you know, one subject. Like, today, I need Proverbs on being laziness. L lazy. Next week, I'll need Proverbs on pride. Well, you maybe have a problem with one thing one minute, and the next minute, you're on to needing something else. So I think there's some value in the randomness here. But that's going to stop in the middle of chapter 22. In the middle of chapter 22, we're kind of going to kind of move on to a new section of Proverbs, where, for a while, we're going to have Proverbs that are more paragraphed off into themes. So, enjoy these last few uh, of this segment of more like random Proverbs. Um, and uh, as we do that, would somebody read then Proverbs 22? Let's do uh, 1 through 6. A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself. But the naive go on and are punished for it. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from him. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will Okay. Verse 1 is one of these proverbs you have quite a few of in the book. You could collect these up, the better than proverbs. And it's comparing two things and talking about which one it has more value. And what has more value than what? Good name. A good name has more value than? Money. Money. Now, a good name means a good Reputation, yeah. Because you, how people see you, your reputation, is really in the long run going to be a lot more important to you than how much money you've got. In fact, if you've got a good reputation, you're more easily able to acquire money. You know, people will trust you more. They're more likely to hire you or to help you or whatever. And it's probably harder to get a good reputation than it is to get money? Because how do you get a good reputation? Can you just go to the store and buy that? Mm -hmm. You have to be that for you a while. You have to be, exactly. You have to build it up over a period of time. And how many times do you have to fall off the wagon to uh, ruin your reputation? Sometimes only once. <laughs> so that good reputation is really harder to come by. And uh, I think that's uh, certainly a, a true Proverbs. Thoughts on that one? What's he, what's he trying to emphasize in two? 
Everyone's the same. Everyone's the same, despite what? Yeah, doesn't make any difference whether you've got a lot of money or not much money. God made all of us, so we're all a lot alike. We often don't think that. Do you tend to think of certain people as being just not at all like you are because they are richer or more powerful? I think we tend to think that. I mean, would you take the President of the United States and think of him as just being a person like you are? I think we tend to take somebody with position or resources and think they're better. Sometimes they think they're better. <laughs> and sometimes we look at somebody poorer than we are, you know, and we think of them as probably not being as much of a person as we are. But God made us all. He made us all people, and we are all very much alike. You could say that about other differences, too. National differences, age differences. Everybody's a person. And we all probably have more things in common than we have that separate us. The separations tend to be more superficial. You know, how much money you have, your position, is not as fundamental as the common human emotions and nature that we have. So you can kind of expect to be more like the people you're different from than what you think you are. Thoughts and comments about that? It's a pretty wise proverb and helpful to us if we'll think about it. I really like verse 3 because isn't this so true? What's the difference between the prudent and naive in this uh, proverb? What do you see the difference as being? Well, one's wise, one's not very wise. Yeah, in what way? Recognize evil. Yeah. The prudent man recognizes evil. And uh, what does he do? He hides himself. I don't know more stay away from it. Or? Yeah, I think that's the idea. He doesn't want to get too close and involve himself in something that's bad. What does the naive one do? Yeah, he, he, he's oblivious to the risks. You know, he just kind of plunges in without realizing, you know, the dangers and the problems. He doesn't look before he leaps, you know, don't we have that proverb, uh, you know, that idea. And there are some people that they just never think. They just rush into things that may really be a problem. But a wise man, he's careful and thoughtful before he acts. You, do you see that difference in people you know? Do you know some people who just kind of don't ever think about the consequences, don't ever count the cost, they just do stuff? Yeah. How does that work out for them usually? Not, not good. Yeah ends up having more problems that could have been avoided with a little bit more forethought and caution. Now, the, the term naive here in verse 3, yeah, that's what I've got in the New American Standard, is a plural. The term prudent is singular. 
I think I know why there's more naive ones than there are prudent ones. The more common thing is to just jump. And you know who struggles with being naive most? A lot of times it's younger people. Because younger people maybe haven't been burned as much, and so they don't think about the dangers as much. Somebody who's seen more may be more cautious. You know, think about just, I'll, I mean, some examples are irrelevant to, to us, but they get the point across. Maybe for some of you this wouldn't be a temptation, but think about a young person who's at a party and somebody offers them, you know, some kind of a pill that would make them feel good or whatever. Uh, and, you know, they maybe are thinking about fitting in or they're thinking about the excitement. They don't think about, you know, what could, what could result from that. So, sure. Or, you know, uh, young people who are dating that, you know, uh, end up together for the night. They're not thinking about the baby that might come, you know, things like that. Because they just, you know, think about how they feel right then. A wise person doesn't just think about how he feels right then. They think about what's going to happen when I wake up tomorrow. <laughs> you know, what are the consequences going to be? So I think that's really helpful. Do you have some thoughts on that? Four and five are kind of contrasts. What you, what, what's the person like in verse 4? Humble person's blessed. Yes, a humble person who fears God and he's blessed. What's the person like in verse 5? What kind of a person is it in verse 5? <clears throat> yeah. uh, an evil person, a wicked person. And what happens to his life? Thorns and snares. Yeah. His life is like an obstacle course. <laughs> you know, there's always problems because he makes really bad choices. You know, it's so much smoother to do what's right. I wonder why it works out so much better to do the right thing. It's just one of the laws of the universe. Like... <laughs> Like, God made certain things to be certain ways. And if you do what's right, you will be blessed. It's like gravity. You can't get around it. Yes. Isn't it a little bit like not putting molasses in the gas tank? You know, or, or water in the, uh, you know, where the oil is supposed to go or whatever. Why is that important? Why do you really need to kind of put the right substances in the right spots? They're designed to work with particular substances. That's the way it was made. You know? And so you need to use things the way they're made. What happens if you start using your screwdriver with a hammer to pry things? Yeah, it doesn't help the screwdriver. It wasn't designed for that. You know, we see that all the time. That you use things the way that they were made. God made us. If we follow God's will, things work better. If we don't, you got all these thorns and uh, you know snares and, and problems because you're really not following the principles that the universe was built in. Uh, thoughts and comments on that? Even though that's the way you know the universe says, people still never from the lesson. Sometimes they just keep on thinking what they what they uh, think is right is the right thing. They keep on 
make the same mistakes over and over again. Do you see some people like that? You do. How do they usually feel? If you ask them, hey man, things aren't going very well for you, what's the problem? What would they probably say? They'll blame everything other than them. Yes, you know, people just are always, you know, hurt, you know, hurting me, mistreating me. Nobody's ever fair. You know, I have really bad luck, you know, and this and that. Isn't that the way people are? When do they ever say, you know, I am making bad choices? You know, it's always everybody else's fault. Do, do you notice that? When we blame everybody else, What's the uh, pro what's the biggest problem with doing that? You never realize the problem, so never never have a chance to fix it. Exactly. If you blame everybody else, but it's really your bad choices that are causing it, you're not going to fix it. You don't have a chance of fixing it because you've not properly diagnosed what the problem is. You know, taking responsibility for our actions is huge. It's the only hope. It's kind of humiliating. It doesn't feel as bad to blame somebody else, but it's also not very hopeful because if it's everybody else's fault, then I can't do anything to change it. Uh, nor do you have to. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's a lot to learn from these really simple principles. But, you know, most of uh, life is built on very simple principles. It's just hard to apply because we don't want to. <laughs> Other thoughts? Well, verse 6 is kind of a famous one, don't you think? He talks about training up the child in the way he should go. Now look at verse 4 and 5. Do you kind of see there the two ways? You know, you got the way of humility and the fear of the Lord that has all these blessings. You have the way of the perverse that has all these thorns and snares. Well, when you're raising your child, you ought to train him to go in the right way and not in the wrong way. That makes sense. You love your child. How do you do that? Now, most of you don't have any children. Uh, but think about the fact that I bet you 15 years from now, I bet almost all of you will have some children. That's my guess. And it's good to kind of think ahead of time about how you would raise them. And so how do you raise a child in the right way? Then the best will be to teach a kid that God exists. That's the best way that you can do to That's huge. You've got to teach him. You know, children are not like born already knowing the right way. It takes parents teaching them. What else helps in training them in the right way besides just what you teach them? The way you do. The way you do. Living the right way and doing the right thing is very helpful also. That can make a whole lot of difference. Um, so you need to think about that. I mean, the truth is um, the mind of a child is not going to stay empty. You know, it's going to be filled with something, and if the parents are not instilling godly principles, the world is going to be instilling other things. Now, what he's saying is, a child will tend to follow the training. That makes sense, doesn't it? If 
you're trained properly, you're more likely to go that direction. If you're not, you're less likely. So, when you make bad choices, it's your parents' fault, right? Is that what he's trying to say? No, it's always my fault. Do you have to follow your training in everything? You ever done something that was different from what your parents had taught you and showed you? You ever known anybody whose parents taught them and showed them really bad stuff? And they made the choice to turn to God and do what's right? Yeah. Ezekiel 18 talks about that. You ever known anybody whose parents taught and showed them the right thing? And they made some very foolish choices? Yeah. God's got some children like that, doesn't he? Uh, so this is not taking away a child's free will. This is not saying that what the parents do just controls the child. But it is saying that the tendency for your children to go the right way is better if you train them in the right way than if you don't. That's what we need to do as a parent. Don't make your child think as they grow up that, well, it all is determined by what you've done. It's really stupid to blame your parents when you made the wrong choice. But as a parent, you want to try to train them in the way that you want them to go. It is much easier to do right when your parents train you. Comments and thoughts on anything here in these first six verses? Sometimes the parents don't really teach them anything. They just let them fend for themselves. What happens in that case? They find other ways to... What would you say about this? This is a very common thinking in our society that we don't want to, like, influence our children. We want our children to be able to find the way that is most suited for them. And so we try to have a very neutral and accepting approach. You know, whatever our children choose for themselves, then we're going to support that. Because we don't think it's fair for us to try to influence their choices. That sounds kind of noble. <laughs> well, well... I think that's that's definitely wrong because that's how I was raised up. Like, cause, uh, uh, you know, my mother and father they, they don't want us to they, they don't want, want us to you know like influence on us. So they kind of like let us do on our things on our own. But things we gotta remember, you know, like with the flesh, it's like it, it want all the, the you know the things that are bad for the, the the flesh. That's what we that's what we want, you know. Because and the, the bad influence is much easier than the good one is is to be influenced badly, bad then, you know, to, to follow what is right and what, uh, what is right and what is good for, uh, for the person. So growing up, you know, yeah, I mean, we listen for about an hour and two for the Bible study, and then the rest of the time it's just we spend with the uh, people, you know, friends that who, are, who like to do bad, uh, you know, smoking, drinking, all these, all this stuff. So really is that, you know, like, it's, you can't, I don't know. I mean, did, so so did you find it when your parents did not try to influence you that no one influenced you and you just chose totally <laughs> on your own? No, you had influences, didn't yes. you? You're going to be influenced. There is nobody that lives in a vacuum and has no influence. So if the parents don't, somebody else will. And mostly that somebody else 
doesn't really love you and isn't really trying to help you make choices that will help you. You know, it's kind of dumb. Can you imagine a parent who would take a two-year-old and put a lot of lighters and matches around the house so the child could decide for themselves if they wanted to play with the lighter. <laughs> if they like to light fire to things and things like that because we don't want to tell them what to do. No parent would do that, would they? I don't think they would. Why not? Well, you don't want your child to hurt themselves. That may kind of uh, rather uh, prematurely end this experiment, you know. So, but, but what about morally hurting themselves? What about life choices? You know, it is more serious to damage ourselves spiritually than it is physically. If I love my child, I'm going to try to help them make the choices and train them in the right way so they don't hurt themselves. This whole idea of this openness and letting them choose for themselves is really a myth. They're going to be influenced just by the wrong people if you don't do the right thing with them. Very helpful. Other thoughts? That already happened in, in the past in Israeli, they, you know, when God wants them to, you know, like, they, they choose, they, 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 they make a choice, you know, what the, their, their choice was to not to obey God, and, and in the end, it's just like, if you let them lose, then they're going to run and do whatever. Yes. Well, they had a good father that they refused to listen to, but God told them and, and even brought them through training experiences in an effort to help them, but for the most part, they refused to learn. That's what happens sometimes. But we still need to train our children properly, and there's more of a tendency they will do the right thing if we'll do that. But yeah, good point. Other thoughts? Brandon? That's why it's important to discipline ourselves first before we become parents. Yes. Your parents ever taught you something that they didn't live? Yeah. <laughs> now, you think about that from a kid's standpoint, you know, and your parents. How does it feel when your parents teach you one thing and live a different way? Disgusting. Yeah, it's very disgusting. Now, you know, one of the things I think is so important, almost all of you, except for a couple and you're close, almost all of you are at least teenagers, or very close to that. You know, our tendency when we think about things like this is maybe to think about, well, here's how my parents were. My parents shouldn't have done this. My parents shouldn't have done that. That's not very helpful. Are you going to change your parents? You know, and sometimes we get in these modes where we can only see their defects. <laughs> it's always easier to see the defects than the good parts, don't you think? Yes. And so it's better not to take these passages and try to just analyze what did my parents do badly. Because I'm going to be a parent. You know, how am I going to choose to do? I know a guy right now who is... Uh, his child is going to be born fairly soon. And he is being very irresponsible and unwise. But what he keeps talking about is how bad his parents are. But his parents raised him much better than the example he's setting if he continues this way after the child is born. You know, it's like, well, you know, this is dumb. You are having a child, and then all you can think about is mistakes your parents made. 
You know, whatever they made, they made. You're going to perpetuate that or do worse? Think about being the right kind of parent. If your parents made some mistakes, everyone does, wonder if you'll make the same ones or worse. It really ought to be that every generation gets better. That's what it ought to be. You know what the Lord says. You ought to raise your children even better than what you were raised. That's, that's very appropriate. That's what God has the right to expect out of you. So don't think so much about, oh, I wish my parents hadn't done this or they should have done that. Learn from the fact that when they were inconsistent, it hurts you. Don't you be inconsistent. Other thoughts? Well, how about uh, chapter 22, verses 7 to 16? The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. He who sows iniquity will reap vanity, and the rod of his fury will perish. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of the, his food to the poor. Drag out the scoffer and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. He who loves purity of heart, and whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. Eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, but he overthrows the words of the treacherous man. To what? 16. Okay. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. The mouth of the adulteress is a deep pit. He who is cursed of the Lord will fall into it. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from it. He who oppresses the poor to make more for himself, or who gives to the rich, will only come to poverty. Okay. Some really good principles here. Verse 7. The rich rules over the poor. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. Now remember that some of these proverbs are what I call observational proverbs. This is not saying that this is the way God thinks it ought to be. This is saying this is the reality of life. Who has the power? The people who have the money. Is that not true? Most of the time. They get more influence. They get more clout. And certainly, who's the slave of who? The borrower becomes the slave of the lender. You know, because you end up having to serve to pay your debts. That can be rather frustrating, can't it, Brandon? After this, I'm going to go help someone cut wood because I made a deal with somebody that if they bought me a sleeping bag, I, could, I would have to work for them. Yes, and so when you make that deal, what do you end up having to do? Work. Pay it off, <laughs> you know? Now, when you make those deals, what are you usually thinking about? The sleeping bag! I want the sleeping bag! You think about what you're getting. You usually don't think so much about what the payment will be. And sometimes you even like later think, man, I wish I hadn't made that deal. Because the sleeping bag, while I got it right then, what I owe to pay it off is really going to be a lot more painful than if I had just waited to get the sleeping bag. You know, <laughs> what is our problem sometimes with borrowing like that? Too rash. It's too rash. Why is it so rash? 
What's motivating us? Right now, I want this. <laughs> you know, isn't that, doesn't that make a big deal? You know, they tell, I've used this before, but this is a cool concept to think about. You know, they tell about leaving four-year-olds in a room for five minutes with a marshmallow and saying, if you will wait until I come back and you haven't eaten the marshmallow, you'll get a second marshmallow. But man, if you're in a room as a four-year-old with a marshmallow, <laughs> you're going to wait? You want that marshmallow? That is a really hard concept, isn't it? That perhaps you'll get more if you discipline your desire and wait. Our tendency is to want to, to you know, give in to our desire immediately even though we lose out on something. We want that sleeping bag. <laughs> so there's a lot of good lessons to learn from that. You know, we're often wiser if we delay gratification than if we borrow and now we owe our soul to the company store or whatever. Comments and thoughts? A lot of times if we delay it, then we find out that we didn't really want it that much anyway, and we've forgotten about it. So, you ever done that? Have you ever have you ever just desperately wanted something, and once you got it, it wasn't worth as much as you thought it would be? Yeah, most things, right? <laughs> they're they're never quite as good once you have them as what they were before you got them. Don't you agree with that? It's compulsive spending. Yes, and compulsive wanting. <laughs> It always seems like what you don't have is just so important. I just got to have this. It's going to be everything. There's a lot of value in the wanting, the anticipating, because the getting usually is a letdown. Isn't that true mostly? That's true with all kinds of stuff. Has there been anything you really wanted to do? But once you did it, it wasn't quite as good as you were anticipating. Yeah, most things. <laughs> you know, the advertising department is a whole lot better for most things than the uh, payoff. You know, if we'll think about that, again, we will make wiser choices. You know, these desires that we can't wait to fulfill usually aren't as valuable as we think they will be. So how was the sleeping bag, man? It's awesome. It, it's like negative, it goes down to negative 15 degrees. <laughs> wow! Yeah. It's not that and, cold and in here. It's, it's with a guy from my church, so it's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it's okay to make those kind of things. It is. It, it is okay to make those things sometimes, but it's always wise for us to think seriously about the trade-offs. How is it going to be paying off that debt and being enslaved to that guy. It's the right kind of guy doing the right kind of stuff. It's not so bad. But sometimes we really, really wish we hadn't. Matt? Um, thinking this from a different perspective. Verse 7, the rituals are with poor and the borrower becomes one of the slaves. Okay, if we become a slave to sin, um, we're in debt and we feel in debt to what sin has given us and we keep sinning. Giving this this proverb, God overrules it by sending Jesus 
and get this out of this, like, you know, a free card. Yeah, which is an amazing blessing that God would release us from that slavery that we've earned. You're exactly right. That we did to ourselves. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That is an amazing blessing. Good point. Dan? Uh, not really with the text that we look at, but this principle you play, that you mentioned as far as giving up something good and adding something better later, you know, and just being willing to wait for those things. I think, you know, what? We think materialistically that that's a helpful lesson for us, but I think there's other things in life, other principles in life that are really helpful. I mean, we think about dating relationships, you know, giving up something, you know, kind of gratifying now, you know, with whatever, whether it be a relationship or whether it be, you know, going too far in a relationship physically or whatever way, giving that up now to get something more beautiful and something more wonderful later, it's not robbery, it's an investment, it's, it's something that's going to be fulfilled a lot better in the long run. This thing of wanting things now is a big problem, don't you think? We have a, such a hard time waiting. You know, anything I want, I want now. I can't wait. And, and you're right. Sometimes if you pick the fruit too quickly, it's not very good. <laughs> if you let it ripen, you have to wait longer. But it's a lot better. That's definitely true in dating relationships. Sometimes when we push it too far, too fast, it ends up souring. Whereas if we would be more patient and 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 you know more deliberate, it would really turn out to be much better. There's a lot of things like that. Greed is really the problem. Covetousness. This idea: I want things and I want them now, and I can't wait. Because that greedy spirit is really self-focused. It's really just this desire overwhelming everything I do. Comments and thoughts? That's why it's important that we, I think we need to really um, wait and think it out before we you know, buy something or dip into something. We need to, so, so many times we just do it right away and then we regret it. You're exactly right. What do, what do young people tend to want to buy very quickly? Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Yeah. What, what's the big thing young people buy? A car. A car. You know, and, well, you know, when you buy the car, you put a little money down, and you make payments, right? And that the way most people buy their cars? Well, how long do they make payments on this car usually? Forever. <laughs> it seems like it. This has been many years ago, but I knew a young guy. He really wanted a car. I forget what it was at the time. It was a sporty car. He, 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 he went to the car lot. He was buying a new car. He says, I can afford to pay this much a month. Can I get this car? Well, at that time they didn't do this, but somehow they worked out special financing. I think he was paying that car off over seven years. <laughs> well, it ended up, I don't know, something happened to the car eventually. He was, the car was worth way less than what he still owed on it. And it just ended up being a snowball because he wanted that car. You know, yeah, who doesn't want a cool car? But think about what it's going to cost you over the long run 
That can be really a pain. And then what do you do? You've got this car payment. Either you keep paying it or what do they do? They take the car and you still have to keep paying. <laughs> you know. Uh, so what do you have to do if you've got a car payment? Well, what do you have to do to be able to pay it? You gotta keep working. You gotta be able to work enough hours and make enough to keep paying that payment. Because you gotta pay it. They didn't say if you keep your job, you know, if nothing happens. And so you're indebting yourself for something that you're not even sure how that's going to work out, whether or not it's going to be convenient. And the car starts getting older, and things start happening to the car, and, but you still got to pay that payment, whether you can even use the car anymore or not. Do you see how unwise that can become? All because, man, I wanted this cool car, and I just couldn't wait till I actually had the money to buy it. I gotta have it now. Do you see how the Proverbs really actually help us not make some dumb moves that really hurt us? <laughs> All controlling my desire. You know, that's such a big thing. It sounds like it's a bummer to do what's right and what's wise, but really it's just saving us a lot of headache and grief later on. Other thoughts? You see a lot of like car dealership advertisements saying that, you know, we'll take your trade-in even if you owe more than it's worth. So, you know, you can see the type of people that they make their money off of. It's yeah. There's tons of people driving cars that they owe more on than what the car is worth. <laughs> and then what do you do? What if you wanted to sell the car? You can't sell the car because you can't pay it off. You know? You know, the car's not working well anymore, but you, that's the only car you can have because you owe more on it than what you can sell it for, brother. Another thing, you know, thinking about borrowing, something I'm having to think about buying money for college is, you know, going the loan route, you know, will I have the money to pay for the loan draft because the payment starts right after I get out of college. That is something to consider. Obviously, you're, it's an investment in some ways, and in some situations, it may pay off. But you really need to think about it. And what happens if, say, you start into college and you want to be a blank? And then, you know, a couple years into this and you start owing big bucks, you decide, no, that's not going to work out. Or I don't keep my grades up or whatever. Now I owe this money that I was going to be able to pay off because I was going to become a guy who made a lot of money, but that doesn't work out. You really have to think through things and make wise decisions. Not always wrong or even unwise to borrow. But we usually are only thinking about what I'm going to get right now and we're not thinking about what I'm going to have to pay. That's really not very wise. We've got two sides of this equation and the pay time is going to be a lot longer than the get time. So I really need to be wise about that and thoughtful. Other thoughts? Well, well. I think it, 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 you, we can apply that in everywhere because uh, cause one thing that my, uh, my father is he don't believe in borrowing. So like if you like when it comes to uh, when it comes to car, like 
if you have this amount of money, then you use whatever money that you have. So pay it off, you know, pay it off and use that kind of, you know, so, I mean, whether that's the, you know, used car or last kind of, you know, one coming over there, he always pay it off. And then that's what we use. And that, that applies to everything too. A lot of people think that, you know, oh, like, like you were saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make, uh, you know, because we don't know our future. We, we don't know if we're gonna live tomorrow or we're gonna live, you know, other things. And we make, we think that we're gonna live forever. So we, we want to make these decisions based upon, you know, not trusting God. So these, uh, the decision that we make uh, have, you know, cost them because, cost other people as well because we think that, you know, we forgot that we, our life is not, it, it, we don't control of our life. Because the, the other day, because my uncles shot each other, and, you know, like the, the two, two days ago, I was having dinner with them. The next day, both of them were gone. And the, they, were, they, they didn't wake up in the morning saying, thinking, oh, you know what, I'm gonna go, go shoot my uncle brother, my, 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 my younger brother today. That they, they didn't think of it. That they just, it was a, tra a tragedy. They, you know, people wake up and they do accident. Or, you know, we didn't think of, you know, we, we just drove and then somebody hit us, die. Who, who knows what? And these things ha could happen. It, w it will happen. And so the best thing is, you know, whatever that you have, you know, if you have money, buy for it. And don't be the pl planning ahead, you know, the, all these things. I think that, the, I don't think that's right for, uh, to look at it. it. It ends up being kind of dumb. And, you know, when we plan like that, we're always thinking of the best possible case, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, I think this will happen and this will happen, and we think it's good. You all make fun of my cars, but I have never paid one car payment. <laughs> I think I'm better off with my cars than what other people are with their payments. What do you say, Chris? Obviously. Yeah. It's cool. Brandon. Sorry, I don't talk a lot, but uh, one thing. You know, talking about dead stuff, this makes you appreciate Jesus more and that he paid on the cross for us and we aren't getting what we deserve for our sins. Yes. Yes, that get out of debt free that he gives us is amazing. Great point. Well, look at verse 8. You see the uh, sowing and reaping principle. You sow iniquity, you reap vanity. Uh, when you oppress and you hurt others and you do wrong things, you can expect the consequences that you deserve. And eventually the rod he used to hurt other people will perish. <laughs> you know, you, the weapon you use will eventually end or turn against you. There's always consequences. Proverbs is big on consequences. Look at verse 9. What, what, who is the blessed man in verse 9? The generous man. Does it seem like it would be a blessing to be generous? Why does it seem like it would not be a blessing to be generous? You're losing something. You're giving something away. You're not getting it for yourself. But God's in charge. So what seems like a bad idea, give to someone who needs. Since God's in charge, he blesses the generous person. So we ought to be generous and share. You know, we think, I would only do that if I had to. But really, we ought to want to, because God will bless us. Comments and thoughts through verse 9? Mike? Uh, to go along with that comment, a lot of people have the mentality of, 
I won't give unless there's something in it for me. Yes. But that's not how God he, he, He's not looking into his own interests. We should be generous because we seek to be more like God. Amen. Excellent point. We, if we're like God, we generously give because of the need of the recipient. I understand there are limits. We don't give to, you know, encourage irresponsibility or laziness or something. But when we're thinking about those who have needs, that we're not hurting them by giving to them, then we ought to be generous people who are eager to share what we have with others. Comments? Yeah. I think it's interesting that when he says that the person who's generous is blessed, he doesn't say it's because he, in the end he's going to get something back from God. He doesn't <laughs> say in the end um, it's going to be better for him. It says is he's going to be blessed because he's giving food to his friend or to the poor. Um, and we shouldn't be, um, well God's going to help me out in the end. I'm going to go to heaven because I'm doing good. Or people are going to think better of me because I gave to the poor. Or whatever, it's not because of us. It's because they're going to be happy. And when we make others happy, we're going to be happy because they're happy. Yes. We are not selfish in our generosity. We give because we care and we want to help. Wrong. And they said, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And that was, I think that was the, 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 what the first one was trying to say is that when you give people, we think that you throw, it's not thrown away. It's you giving to people. And these people have memories. These people are like have feelings, just like us. So they remember <coughs> a good deed that you did, uh, you did to them. So when you uh, when you are in need, these people are not like it's not a robot. You just feed them and then they'll give it back. <laughs> people remember. People will have you know they'll remember what you did. Your reputation, like I said, a generous reputation will uh, will always pay back. I think there are lots of ways then the Lord blesses us when we are generous, and that is one way. Yes. Good point. Look at verse 10. I really like this one. You have to think about this one a minute. How can you stop the quarreling? <laughs> Get rid of the source. It is very interesting how things are in a group. Often one troublemaker can keep a whole group stirred up. If you got rid of the troublemaker, everything would be fine. Have you ever noticed that, John? In sports, they call that sometimes addition by subtraction. <laughs> you know, the team loses a high-profile player, and they think, oh, this team's going to go to pot now, and ends up they're now a better team because of the <coughs> loss, addition by subtraction. And it's a better situation for them, even though it didn't seem like it would. Purdue just did that, didn't they? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they got rid of a fairly decent player, I think. But actually, they seem to be playing more together and better. Because you take one guy who keeps things stirred up. You know, that sometimes happens in a church. You get one troublemaker, one knothead, and just always creating problems and strife. And, and the thing you got to do is deal with him. You know, the sea is not going to cease its raging until you throw Jonah overboard. And uh, that can make a lot of difference. You, you can't have a good discussion sometimes. You ever notice in a Bible class, 
that you you almost can't open up the Bible class to comments because you got one knucklehead who just keeps saying things that are really just set people on edge and just really create strife. It's a shame, but sometimes it just really messes everything up. So and that's really a true statement. Drive out the scoffer, and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. And, and sometimes the church needs to withdraw from the, the man who keeps creating strife because he's really the problem that's damaging the whole group. Thoughts and comments? We never really see people take that very seriously. I mean, you know, if someone's living with someone or if they've just, you know, gone off and left, you know, we'll withdraw from that, but, you know, not something that's really affecting the group. Yes, sometimes we don't think about this as being something, but he, you know, the Bible says in several passages, Titus 3, to withdraw from the factious man after two warnings. Um, that's, that's necessary. Other thoughts? Don't you just see how wise God is? You know, he's got a principle for everything here. In uh, verse 11, he speaks of the way to high places, purity of heart, and gracious speech. So you're holy and you speak wisely, you'll be a friend to the king. You know, you will have success in that. Verse 12, God preserves knowledge. Knowledge is what succeeds, not deception. In the long run, truth is much better than lying. Because God's in charge of this. It looks like lying and deception will work better, but God's the overseer, and he will end up frustrating the path of deception and blessing <laughs> honesty. That's the thing we often forget. We only look at human factors. But God is the one in charge. And so doing things his way is ultimately blessed and more successful. Cameron. I think it's cool in verse 10 how it's telling us to throw out the scoffers. And now in verse 12, now the Lord, he's throwing, he's overthrowing the works of the treacherous man. He's, he's, he knows this proverb and he's like, yeah, it's good to get rid of it. And in fact, I'm not just going to get rid of it. I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to smash them down. God does his share of throwing out and throwing down, doesn't he? Yeah, good point. And then don't you love 13? We're talking about the lazy man. What does he do? He gives a reason why I won't go out of the house. And what's the word for that reason? An excuse. An excuse. What's his excuse? Yeah, there's a lion in the street. I can't go and work. What do you think about that excuse? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Does it strike you as a little far-fetched? <laughs> but you know, if you're lazy, you know, uh, no excuse is too preposterous to uh, use. You know, anything will work. You ever used excuses for not doing things you ought to do that were about as stupid as there's a lion in the street? Yeah, stop and think about your excuses. You know, because when you're lazy, you're going to come up with anything not to act. 
And it's so foolish to be lazy. How many times do you put off doing what you really ought to do? How does it make you feel when you put off what you really ought to do? What does it make you feel? Pressure. So you can do it quicker? Pressure. Stress. No, no, want to know why we're so stressed? Half the time it's because we haven't faced up to our responsibilities and just done what we ought to do. And man, that makes you tense. And it makes you discouraged. And then you try to flee and avoid and immerse yourself in something else so you don't have to deal with what you really should have dealt with already. You ever felt like that? No, so don't use that lion in the street line. <laughs> That's not a very good idea. Thoughts about that? Wrong. Well, um, my captain always said, the, you know, if there is something that's really important to you, you'll find a way to do it. If, that, if that's not important, you'll find an excuse. So that's, <laughs> I always remember that. So whenever I do something that isn't really important to me, you know, then sometimes I do things that are not important, then I'll, I'll, find, I'll find an excuse. So, you know, I think that's that is very good code to saying, you know, if that's not important to you, you'll find an excuse. Yes, if you don't want to do it, you'll find an excuse. There's always a reason not to do what you don't want to do. Well, so many times we, we look at a situation, something that we need to do, and we, we make it into a mountain. Yeah. It's like this is this is gonna take so much effort and so much of this and that. And then you, you you get involved in it and you find out, oh well that wasn't so hard. That wasn't so difficult. And sometimes it's our own imagination that makes a task seem impossible when if we just get busy and do it, it's not near what we make it out to be. I don't follow this always, but it's better when I do. If you have 10 things to do today, which one should you do first? The one you are most dreading. That is so much wiser, you know why? Then you've got that stress and pressure and dread over with. And you have more energy to do the other things because you're not dreading them so much. If you just did them in that order, the one you are dreading the most first, the one you're dreading the next most next, and so forth, by the time you get to the end of the day where you don't have as much energy and all that, you've just got the ones you're not minding at all. You're glad to do them. Isn't that smarter? You know, it's kind of like work before play. Because how can you enjoy the play when you have the work hanging over you? You know, it's so much smarter to do what you ought to do that you don't want to do and get it off your back. It's just amazing how smart God is, isn't it? Comments? I was thinking about the time, one time, this is a very silly example, but like, it was at SC, we were going to banquet, and I ended up getting asked by two different people, groups, whatever, and so I, um, wait, but not until after asking day, so, um, but what you need to do in that situation is call the one that you have to say no to first, and get that out of the way, and then call the one that you want to say yes to, because you feel so much better, and I did it the opposite way, and so then I felt sad, because I turned the guy down after... <laughs> yeah, that's funny, but isn't that the way we are? We do what we 
what, what we find less stressful first, so the stress just increases. Get rid of the stressful thing, do it first. Get it over with. It's more of this, we do what we feel like instead of doing what's wisest. But often getting what we don't feel like done is so much better. Just, if you would just apply that, think about how much better your life would be. What do you do with Bible study and prayer? Sometimes that's not very exciting to us. That's sad, but it's probably because we haven't done it enough. But if you're still in the mode where Bible study and prayer isn't exciting to you, when do you usually choose to do it? Good morning. What most people choose is put it off, put it off, put it off, <laughs> till the end of the day, till I'm dead tired, you know, and all that. We put off the things we don't want to do. There's a lot of Bible passages, especially in the Old Testament, that talk about early in the morning the person got up to pray or to do what God told them to or whatever. That eagerness to do it early shows that you really give a priority to it. It's a good thing to do. Don't put it off. Other thoughts? Brandon? And just, you know, complaining in general just always makes the situation worse. Sometimes we think, you know, letting out how we feel about something we think we're going to feel better about it, but so many times it just makes you feel worse. I think yeah. it helps a lot if we just be quiet. We are uh, spoiled brats. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, I went to this uh, preacher's study these last two days in Tennessee. And one, we were talking about Thessalonians. There were six speeches, six sermons, whatever. And one of the guys was assigned kind of like... Paul and his work as a preacher in the Thessalonian letters. And, and he was talking about that, and we have a discussion period after each one, and it came up just kind of the idea of, you know, how we look at our, our work as a preacher. And, 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 you know, some people were talking about how we really need to, um, you know, we really need some time for ourselves, and we really need some breaks, and we need this, and we need that, and so forth. Somebody else said, well, you know, what are, what are our sufferings today? What are we going through? And it was funny, because the speaker was like, well, yeah, you know, we sometimes don't get supported all that well, or, or sometimes, you know, we... We have to talk to somebody, it's kind of difficult, or sometimes someone doesn't like what we say very well. It was like, whoa, you know when he got done with that, you're thinking, and then we are complaining and feeling sorry for ourselves because it's so rough. You know, I thought about his, what he gave us his list, and I thought, what would the Apostle Paul think about this? <laughs> you know, we do that, and preachers do that sometimes. You get in those gatherings, and you realize we're all talking about, oh, we have such a rough time. Right. You know, don't we all tend to think that about ourselves? Poor me. You know, it's just so hard. We don't know what hard is. You got to quit whining. Thoughts? All right, look at uh, verse 14. He's warning about an adulteress. She is dangerous. What she says is dangerous. It's a deep pit 
and and you're gonna you know be cursed if you fall into it when he speaks of her mouth I think he, he's speaking of her flattery and her enticing words we've talked about this way earlier in Proverbs she is going to tell you that you are so important to her that she can't live without you that you are so wise and you are so thoughtful and you make her feel so special and she needs you so much and all this kind of stuff and how's it going to make you feel? Wanted. Wanted. Needed. You know, special. And then when she asks you to show her how much you care about her because she feels so horrible about herself and nobody's ever really loved her. And she really needs you. Then what are you going to do? You're going to fall for her line. Watch what she says. We have to be very careful about conversations. Say with a married woman. Because it's easy for her to draw us in by flattering us in a way and making us feel important. That's what he's warning about. Thoughts and comments on that? We like to feel important. You have to kind of watch that even when you're dating just to be wise. You know, this girl or this guy it just keeps telling you how much they can't live without you. They need you so badly. And you get to feeling like, I, I could never leave them because I don't know what they do. <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh -huh. You don't want to be with the person who has no life unless it was with you. That's not smart. It's not going to be the person that you're going to be able to, to really build a good life with. You don't want that person to be the father or mother of your children. You know, the, the person that you'd really like to ultimately marry is somebody who can do well even if they're not with you because they are, they have a relation with God. And whether or not they have you or not, they're going to serve the Lord and serve others. The person that says, I just, I, 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 I'll kill myself if I don't have you. You don't want that. You, but it makes you feel good. Sometimes they tell you how important you are and you want to be important. You have to really watch those things. Thoughts? Alright, look at verse uh, 15. <laughs> what do you know about the child? Yeah, a child has foolishness in their heart. They need to be disciplined to drive that out. You leave a child on his own, he will not make wise choices. It's necessary God put the parents there to discipline for the child's benefit. It's not intended by God. The parents just kind of hands off. You know, let my child do whatever they want to, whatever they feel like. Because left to themselves, children will not tend to improve. Comments? We talked about that quite a bit earlier. Raul? I think that sometimes it's like God is our parent. So He take care of, you know, sometimes the things we are very upset with. I think, you know, for, for instance, in my life, it's like 
a lot of, you know, uh, there was a rough time, you know, that, that I go through. And sometimes I think, you know, that, that, wow, this is really painful because, you know, because God wants to go, uh, to, to, be with, to be with us. And, you know, sometimes, the, you know, like, for instance, you know, because I had to go through, you know, twice rehab, right? you know, and I thought it was, you know, for, when I think about these, uh, my, uh, the past life is like, yeah, it is also a blessing to, you know, for God, for you to draw you back to, uh, to you know, whatever it takes, if, if that take you know, to rehab, if that take me, you know, a Marine Corps, to, 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 to accomplish, whatever it takes. And, and finally, if you go back to him, that's that's mm -hmm. that's what he wanted. So, well, you know, sometimes we ought to know if that's uh, you, know, pay, you know whatever happened in our life, if the you know, present situation happened, we gotta see. Okay, if, what is well, what can I learn out of this mistake? What can I learn if if this is God's intention? Then what have I what have I done something wrong? You know, we gotta you know look at ourselves and then make a correction. Maybe you try to write uh, try to be uh, make a uh, try to write with God. So God is a wise parent. He yeah. disciplines us, and He lets us go through difficult things for our benefit. And it is helpful for us to think about what God wants us to learn and change when we go through those things. And He's also a model of how we ought to be as a parent. Yeah, good point. Other thoughts? Yeah, very good. And then look at verse 16. Uh, don't oppress the poor to make more for yourself or don't give to the rich to try to make more for yourself. There's a tendency to do either of those. Either try to exploit people without clout for yourself or try to give to the rich. Why would you want to give to the rich? Yeah. If you can get them as your buddies, then maybe you'll get to enjoy their riches. How well does that work? Usually they enjoy what you gave them. You know, so that's not a good idea. This is kind of the anti-Robin Hood idea here. You know, take from the poor and give to the rich. Not a good plan. All right, anything you want to say through this? Yes, John. Go back to 15. Sure. You know, I think it's, it's important to note what what uh, is said in the second part of 15, the rod of discipline will remove it far from you. God, God seems to over and over uh, in the book of Proverbs emphasize the use of the rod. And that's not very popular today, that, that concept. And, and even a lot of Christians will scoff at the, the use of some sort of you know, corporal punishment. But that's God's way. And if, if we want to follow, you know, the one who made us, the one who knows best about how to discipline and, and train our children, we ought, to, we ought to take his advice and we ought to follow what he teaches. And uh, unfortunately, I just see a lot of Christians who, who think that today's, you know, psych, psych, uh, psycho babble. <laughs> yeah, whatever, it is, is the way to, to raise children today. God's, God's ways are always best. If you punish them physically, you'll warp their personality and you'll, you'll end up making them be violent people. You know, I hear that all the time, that they've done these studies or whatever, and children who were spanked end up being abusive and hurting other people and so forth. You know, it's funny how studies are. 
they tend to go in cycles depending on whatever the studiers are wanting to find. <laughs> you know, uh, we just have to trust the Lord. I agree. I mean, if the Lord says that physical punishment is the thing that will drive the foolishness far from the child, well, who would know best? God made us. You know, so listening to some atheistic psychiatrist who says this is not a good idea is probably not nearly as valuable as listening to the Lord who made us. But we do have to resist the pressure of our culture. They have just made a law in Brazil, you are not allowed to spank your children. And I wouldn't be surprised they'll make that here one of these days. That could be really problematic. I mean, that is, you know, um, but, but God says what he says. He knows what's best. And uh, children who just kind of left themselves, you know, we, we don't want to punish them. We don't want to hurt them. It's not really better for them. It might sound like it, but God knows what's best. Good point. Other thoughts? All right, we're going to move ne- uh, after this into this next whole section of Proverbs, but why don't we take a break before we do that. Gentlemen, boys and girls, we have this new section, and uh, we haven't had a new section in a while, and and the thing that I see in this section is you've got these longer Proverb paragraphs, and uh, you've got about 30 of them, from the middle of 22 to the end of 24. Now, some of them are like one-verse sections even, but you've got some that are two-verse, four-verse, five-verse kind of grouping. And uh, the whole style is different. Um, for example, this is kind of a small thing, but it's interesting. This, this use of my son, you had that uh, 15 times in the first nine chapters. That was a really common thing. My son this, my son that. Then you have it once from 10.1 to 22.16. Mm-hmm. And now you have it five times in this section from 22.16 till the end of 24. And then only twice in the rest of the book. So this is another concentrated section of the My Son. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's just a different style. It's just kind of a separate segment. And it is kind of cool to get these proverbs that are kind of in a set. Because you can kind of you know, think about some proverbs on a particular theme. So would somebody read 17 to 21? Incline your ear, hear the words of the wise, and apply your mind to my knowledge. What will be pleasant if you keep them within you, they may be ready on your lips, so that you may trust, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have taught you today, even you. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge, to make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may correctly answer him who sent you? This is kind of the introduction to the section, and it's really talking about our response to words of wisdom. Now, I want you to apply this in a specific way. Where do we find words of wisdom? In the Bible. So what if you thought about just taking this section and applying it to the Bible itself, to the scripture itself? In verse 17, what's he saying we ought to do? Listen. Now, if you're reading the Bible, do you ever read it and not listen? So what's he saying to do? 
apply that to your life. Yes, but not just apply it right here. Pay close attention. Pay close attention. Alert, concentrate, really observe what you see. It's amazing how we can read something and never see it. Never really understand it because we're not paying attention. You ever read a page in a book? And you got to the end of the page, you had no idea what you read. Mm -hmm. You read every word, but your mind was totally elsewhere. I've done that over and over again. I get to the end, and it's like, I have no idea what that said. I read every word, but I didn't know what I just read. Because your mind wandered. We do that with the Bible. We don't look at it. We have to really look. Have you ever had one of these deals? I don't know if you've seen these. You've got like a paragraph, and it says, like, count the Fs in the paragraph. And you don't find them. How hard could it be to count the number of F's in a short paragraph? You ever have that one? You do it, you won't find them. You'll find three out of the six. Everybody does. You don't see them. They're there. There's no trick. Not really. It's just that some of them you don't ever see. Somebody's got to point them out to you before you'll ever find them, practically. Because we just pass things over. We don't look at them. We'll do that in the Bible all the time. You'll read something in the Bible, and somebody will point something out to you. You're like, that was right there, and I never, ever saw that. Never thought about it. So be, be alert. Really, when you're listening to the words of wisdom, really pay attention. Really look at it. It's amazing what you'll find that you didn't even think was there. You ever had this experience? Have you ever read a passage that maybe you knew pretty well, and you just felt like, this is kind of boring? Because I wouldn't know it. I know I've got a friend who, who's read the Bible three times, and he's told me several times, it's just boring. No, I, I already read it three times. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny for us, isn't it? What does it say if I'm just kind of bored with this passage? You're not paying attention to it. That's exactly right. I'm not really seeing what's there. All I'm doing is finding what I'd already found and all the rest of the stuff I'm just overlooking. Because in any passage, there's way more right there that you don't see. I'm not talking about stuff you're going to find by going into some deep Bible history or Bible geography or original languages. I'm saying stuff you can get that's just right there in the text and you never saw it. Most of you have studied the Bible enough you realize that. But if you're still at that level, well, man, I read this twice. It's just kind of boring to me now. You're not looking. Isn't that true? It's interesting. J.D. Copeland and Roger Blanco, they've been doing something that's called praying through the scriptures. They'll just read a passage and then go back through and pray through the passage and have their prayer be focused on the passage. And J.D. said, it's amazing. I read the passage after I'm done doing that and I'm like, how did I, how did I realize that from that? And, but we need to be focused more. Yeah, absolutely. Thoughts about that? That's, I think many of you have seen that, John. Michael Hersey gave some lessons on uh, worshiping God in our singing. And he just pointed out how much work worship is. I mean, you really have to invest yourself. And I think that's part of this, too. Yeah, and, and, and good songs, 
Have you ever sung them for the, you know, 300th time and suddenly it dawned on you what it was saying? <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing, you know, <laughs> because I completely missed it. And it was right there, but I, my mind was kind of in a mental rut and I never really saw what it was saying. Passages are just like that. There are times when, you know, I remember many years ago, this, this happened to me, I, I used Mark all the time. I've taught Mark, I don't know how many times. And I was, uh, probably 10 years ago, I was studying with a group of young preachers who were really good, and they prepared well, and they were very insightful. And we'd studied many books together, and I always got a lot out of that. I led the study, but it was really open, and so we talked a lot, and I learned a lot from them. Well, we came, they wanted to study Mark. I'm like, oh, I've been through Mark so many times, I don't think I'll learn anything in this study online. <laughs> it was amazing. It was like passages I had taught, I don't know how many times, that they would point out things that were just right there that I'd never seen, I'd never thought about. And I thought, well, Mark's one of those books. There's nothing more for me to get out of that. <laughs> yeah, that's just a myth. I mean, if you ever think that about any passage, you're wrong. <laughs> well, look at verse 18. Now, what does he say you ought to do with the Scripture? Yes, Megan. It's okay like, to read them stuff, but you also need to let them speak through your actions. Yes, you do. You need to let them speak through your actions. But to do that, what do you have to do with what you're reading? Treasure them in your heart. Yeah, you have to keep it. You have to retain it. You ever read something and you did get it, but then you forgot it? Uh, the older you get, the uh, greater the uh, tendency is for that. <laughs> So, we've got to retain this stuff. We've got to get it in our head and just keep it in us. Now, how can we do that? You have to go over it multiple times. Yes. Like, you have to keep putting it in. And that's true. Reviewing it. Yes, that's one thing. You have to see it as a want more than a need. Yes, you have to want to. You have to really purpose to remember you know, um, just some of you, um, you know, have tests in school or whatever. Have you ever just studied for the test? You know what it means to study for the test? What does it mean when you study for the test? You don't have to learn it. You just want to know right then. So you just remember it long enough to answer it on the test, but you don't even try to remember it after that. You ever done that? And, Maybe three or four weeks later, you wouldn't hardly remember any of what you, you learned. You just learned it right for right then. There's a whole different attitude when you're trying to learn something long term than when you're trying to just <laughs> cram and get it in there just long enough to write it out or long enough to answer questions. With the scriptures, we've got a really purpose to keep it. There are some techniques to do that. For some people, it's very helpful to memorize. Have you ever done that? I don't know, I think people have different minds, <laughs> and, and for some people memorizing helps a lot, for some people just really trying to retain the overall outline and idea helps a lot, you know, but one way or the other, we've got to get it up there and keep it to where it is able to guide us, it doesn't help us much if we can't remember it, if it's not really in us and a part of us, so make the scriptures a part of you, <clears throat> thoughts about that? Yeah. 
I read a book that had a chapter about our lack of reading and studying called uh, Anorexic Men and Their Bulimic Cousins. So if, we, <laughs> if we're not starving ourselves with the scripture, we just, you know, kind of read it and then it regurgitate it and don't really keep it. Yes. It's a different mindset. When we're talking about the scriptures, we're trying to get as much staying in us as possible. There. And this is a good demonstration of whether or not we're doing that is whether or not we can view the last part of that verse, speak, give it out. Yes. Uh, that's just a good tool and indicator of that. Absolutely. I might say this for me. The best way for me to retain something is to tell it. That is true for me with anything. If, if you will tell me something and I will retell it quickly, I will remember it. If you tell me something and I don't tell it, I will forget it. I see that all the time. It can be any kind of thing for me. Retelling it sticks it in my mind. So there are, there are books that I've studied seriously, but I didn't teach them right away. I forgot everything I studied. There are books that I studied them and I taught them and told them over and over again, and it just stuck it in my head. I don't know if everybody's as strong on that as I am or not, but that is so much a characteristic of me. It helps me so much to tell it as far as remembering. I think that's true, just like the way that you're that you're made and that you're wired. Like putting it, reading it is one thing that you do, and then telling it is another thing. And so the more of yourself that you can involve in it. Now we've got not just my brain and my eyes, but also my mouth, and literally doing those things will make you remember it better. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Over to John. Um, songs, again, help me with that. Uh, knowing songs, that, especially songs that put the scripture to music, and not just, you know, not just any song, but a song that does that with scripture. You know, it makes it stick for me. Yes, that's a good point. I think that has been kind of a memory technique in a lot of situations. You can get something set to music, it tends to be retained longer. And I, I want to be careful about this, but I think being able to retell it in my own words is helpful too. I think obviously retelling it in God's words is best, but if, 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 I, if I get the concept, even if I, I change a word or two, uh, it, it helps stick with me. Yes. We studied 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 years ago. And well, Second Corinthians, and out of chapters eight and nine, uh, we talked about giving being a grace to the giver. Well, that's that you won't read those words in Second Corinthians eight and nine or anywhere else in the Bible. But that that is a biblical concept from those from those passages, and and so that for me that has stuck with me that I connect that with those chapters. Yeah, if you take something and you understand it. And you can sort of assimilate it and reprocess and give it out. You've understood it more deeply. You know, more than just reciting, you understand it and can integrate it into your thinking. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I agree with that. Cameron. Whenever I'm studying a book, um, I don't always do this, but it's helpful for me to just uh, try to explain what it's saying out loud. Because I look at it and be like, yeah, I get what that's saying in my head. And I'll just be like, okay, it means that, okay. But if I'm trying to get the words for what I'm trying to say, then all of a sudden I'm noticing new things in there. Like, well, actually, I can't say that because that's not exactly what it means. And then I'm like, well, what does it exactly mean? And so then I look at it more and more and I find more things. 
Absolutely. Verbalizing <clears throat> something helps you understand it. You know, maybe we ought to go back to this idea. You need to teach it or you need to retell it. Who can you retell what you're learning to? Any ideas? Who could you retell what you're learning to? Your dog. <laughs> As a last resort, that's better than nothing. <laughs> Though it probably has relatively less value to the dog. Uh, but, yeah. I had thought about that, but I thought there might be some better options. <laughs> Who could you tell it to? Siblings. Siblings. Do you have any little brothers or sisters or cousins or something? that would sit still long enough for you to tell it to them? That would be really good. Really good, in fact. You know, if you've got a little brother or sister and you care enough about them to tell them what you're learning from the Bible, that's really good. Who else could you tell it to? Friends. Your friends, sure. You got any friends that would listen to you? What about each other? I mean, if you're learning something, could you call up or, you know, whatever, or see one of your friends, Christian friends, and say, I really need to tell this to you, you know, and just do it? Um, maybe even non-Christian friends, if they let you. That would be really cool. You know, a really good opportunity for them. Maybe your parents, maybe your grandparents, maybe some other older person in the congregation. You know any shut-ins that would love for you to, if you could go over and just say, look, I've learned that when I study something, if I can tell what I've learned, I can remember it more. Would you mind me telling you some things I've been studying in the Bible that I'm wanting to remember more? And that's their way of helping you. But can you imagine what that would do for them to get to hear that, what you're learning? Uh, there's a lot of options for us. I think it's really helpful. Try to find people you can tell it to. It's kind of exciting to tell them what you're learning in the Bible. Okay, what about 19? What should the scripture make us do? Trust God. Yeah, we need to make personal application of the scriptures to where it leads us to trust in the Lord and put our faith and confidence in Him. You know, it's not just a matter of getting it at our head, but it's applying it so that it really makes us more dependent on God. And in connection with that, verse 20, these excellent things he's written are of counsels and knowledge. Now, if the scriptures counsel us, what does that mean they do? They guide your life. They guide you. They direct you. So, do you use the scriptures when you make decisions? Do you think, what would the scriptures teach me as far as what decision I should make? That's a part of this, is using the scriptures to guide us and to direct our decisions. Verse 21, to make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may correctly answer him who sent you. You know, so do you understand the truth better? And you, are you able more uh, to teach others better? In verse 21, you know, that's what ought to happen. You ought to understand better and be able to, to respond better. So think about, what are we doing with the Bible? Are we really getting it in us like we ought to? 
like this passage would say. Comments and thoughts on this? <clears throat> well, I never really read the Bible in, in my life until like the past four, uh, four, four months. You know, I, did, I need a couple of verses, like that's about it. But now that you know, reading through, and I decided to you know to to, um, to to look for God, like what is what is God that mean to me? And uh, I started reading the, uh, the Bible, and I'm at the um, Jeremiah now. So the, through this is. Well, I'm looking for what is the, 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 the what is God to me? What, what kind of you know? I have so many things about you know the, what does God look like, and then to try to reveal, to try to see myself, to to apply to my life, that that I understand my God. And the, through this, you know, it is um, it changed it changed a lot of things. You know, I don't know whether people notice it or not, but to me, it's like it changed everything in me. Right now, the nowadays my decision is based on whether, because well, my decision is based on you know like uh, with uh, with whether they, will God wanted to, to want me to do this. You know, in, in here it said that um, and then uh, even it said that you you, you to know, oh, okay all right, uh, what did I see there? Okay, so that I might make know the certainty of the word of truth that the, that thou mightest answer the word of truth to them that said unto thee. Uh, I don't know, like to me it's like the more that I read to the Bible, you know, the, the, the more that it put me back you know, to the faith in, uh, the, to uh, to have faith in God, because I I've seen the, you know all the uh, all the um, all the things that He did to you know throughout generation to generation. And when I see this, uh, the you know how did he deliver Israel people, uh, Israel people, and then not only Israel, you know, to uh, God is fair to, and then he he, he, he w throughout the story that I have more faith to God. I, I, I missed that in, in the verse saying that you will uh, you will be uh, you will trust you will learn how to trust in God more, and that's what exactly what it is. And you know nowadays I look at I see it a lot, a lot of people, and then they can have the reason why. They can't have faith in God is because they never studied their, uh, His words. They, they never try to actually look for, you know, and have. I think when you read the Bible, you gotta have a question for to God. You know, you gotta have something to look for. You can't just people miss a lot of things on the Bible because they never were looking for. They just reading stuff. They just in the Bible study or they they just there for whatever reason is. That's what I was. That that's what I used to be. But now today I'm looking for something. You know. Well, what what he gonna reveal to me? To me, I have a question that in, in my mind, they try. Maybe I don't find it today. Maybe you know I'm looking for. I have a question in my mind about God, and I don't find it today. That's fine. That he will reveal it to the, the, the next study or you know whatever study. As you read through it, you know whatever that you have question in your heart will will he will answer it to, 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 through through his word. It's amazing how valuable the scriptures are to us. How much God does for us in His word. How awesome they really are if we do read it with that open heart and eagerness and seeking attitude. The Lord does bless us greatly. If we haven't seen that and received that, we're missing out. John. We, we had some recent uh, teaching training on prayer. How do we pray? And some of the instruction that was given was by starting out a prayer by saying, God, you are blank and and what Rawls said made me think of that that 
if we're not looking for that in the Scripture, we can't answer that question. God, you are. And, but we see God's faithfulness and His trustworthiness and His compassion and on and on and on and on as we read the Scripture. It really helps us to see God in everything that happens. We need to read the Scriptures with a focus on the Lord. It ought to draw us to trust in God more and see who God is more. Absolutely. Other thoughts? And then, oh, sorry, uh, sorry. And the mechanization part is that uh, I used to be, I used to thought like when, when, what does the faith mean to me now today is that the other day, the, my, my veteran, uh, the, the veteran assistant, they, 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 they gave me a call and they just want to see how, uh, how my life is doing. And then there's a lot of things that before I get out of Marine Corps, there's a lot of lists of things that, that I thought that the Marine Corps owned me. That you know, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna buy all the, you know, because I didn't believe in God. So, like, it is some things that you know, what, what my friends, you know, what, all these things that I'm gonna ask for, you know, I'm gonna, ask, I'm gonna make Marine Corps pay me for the rest of my life for this thing, you know, that that's what my attitude was. And then they called me yesterday, and I was like, no, I don't need any of that. You know, I don't need any of this. So I don't want any of that anymore. I don't. I'm healthy because of God blessed me. Because I didn't know, you know, I didn't know God, God was a living man. I didn't find God as a living God in my life. I thought it was just a scripture, you know, whatever. I don't know what I was thinking. But now that, you know, the God is a living, He can deliver my life. Amen. And He can, I don't need the, all these, you know, the, the, the benefit or none of this. As long as I, I have faith in Him, he will, he will give me what I think, what I, what I deserve. Yeah, what is best for me? What is bad for me? Yeah. So when I, when I tell them that, hey man, I don't need uh, any of that, so I was in the halfway process, so I had to shut off, uh, I had to, to tell them that I don't need any of that. So they're like, uh, the guy was like, oh, what, what happened, man? Now I'm like, because he, he is uh, responsible for me to, to, to get all that benefits so he can have a job as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not going to do that no more because I get God and so what about, you know, there's a lot of pleasure for him. What about this and what about that? I'm Maybe like, he needs wow. the Lord himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I see myself, wow, I was anxiety like that. I was, I had, I had, I had so much worry like that. I had so much, you know, I can see a lot of, you know, 700 $800 is going to save my, save me, you know. And depending on God, it's like, I don't depend on government no more. I don't depend on people no more. That's, that's a freedom. That's, that, that, that's, that's a real freedom that, 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 that I got through, through God. You know, I think it's interesting in this section to see all the different actions that it has. It says in verse 17 to apply it. So how do we apply it? Well, uh, in verse 7 it says, incline your ear, and then it says here, and it says apply. Verse 18 <coughs> says to keep it, and then to be ready, um, have them ready on your lips. Verse 19 says to trust, the, uh, to, um, and then verse 20 says, that is counseling us and it gives us knowledge and then verse 21 says that we may know and then that we may correctly answer i think it's really cool that it says to apply it and how do we do that we keep reading and we see these things and we apply it by knowing it and by having the right answer and by trusting in it amen good points very good other thoughts well let's look at some of these 22 and 23 Do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. Okay, don't rob the poor 
The poor would be easier to rob, even though they might not have as much, because what are they going to do for self-defense? They can't afford a good lawyer, you know, they're not going to be able to do anything. So don't take advantage of the vulnerable. And he says, don't crush the afflicted at the gate. Now, crushing with the gate, the gate is where the city officials were, where they would have court. Sometimes you could um, use the justice system unjustly to take advantage of the poor people. Don't do that. Just because you can get by with something legally doesn't mean it's right. That's what he's saying. So treat the poor correctly in every sense because What does he say is the because? They do have a defense. They have God as their defense. God will be their lawyer. <laughs> you know, he will defend them. You don't want to hurt the Lord in that. So treat everyone well, including the poor man. It's pretty much a theme in Proverbs. Thoughts? Micah. That reminds me of so many times in the Bible how God hears his people. Especially, all of us are in states of poverty, whether it's physical or spiritual. Whenever we have things going against us, whenever we cry out to God, He will listen. Amen. Yes. I think of Psalms and how David, when he prays and cries out to God, when he's asking for deliverance and help, and that God comes to his rescue. And, and like I said, we we replace it with poor and as Christians and the rich people are the worldly people who serve us unjustly and that that we shouldn't be worried about having vengeance or you know that kind of feelings or urges that God is our lawyer that he is ultimately going to help us in the end and that we should trust in him. Amen. It's really cool to think about Psalm 18 with that. How you know, you would think that, like, why would God care? What would he do for me? But you see how David prayed to him in, like, this whole production and God, you know, like, earthquakes and everything, he was coming to rescue him. And, I don't know, so. God takes care of the little guy, doesn't he? Yeah, it's amazing. Other thoughts? 20, 24 and 25? Do not associate with a man given to anger. Or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. So, don't hang out with the hothead, with the guy who is quick to anger. <laughs> Why not? Because my life will be short. Maybe, but that's not quite what he says. He'll rub off on you. He'll rub off on you. You know, isn't it easier how we catch on to sin faster than we catch on to righteousness? And you hang out, we, we would think about that, you know, don't hang out with somebody who, you know, maybe is grossly immoral. You know, if he's, uh, you know, robbing banks, probably not a good idea to spend a whole lot of time with him, you know, or whatever. But even somebody who loses their temper a lot, you know, maybe we wouldn't think about that as being such a bad influence. But we tend to imitate those that we make our closest friends when we hang out most with them. Even something as as maybe simple as, 
you know, becoming wrongly angry is something we will catch by our association. Be careful who you spend most of your time with. Thoughts and comments on that? That's um, why most kids get their parents' personalities. Good point. We tend to imitate our family because we're around our family the most usually. Yeah, that's a very good point. And uh, you see it a lot. Sometimes you see the very same behaviors in the children that you saw in the parents. And you see why. Yeah, this, this to me also, um, I, I can see this. I am the hot-tempered man in my, in my views. I am the hot-tempered man. I'm very quick to anger. And a certain person in my life told me that when I'm sinning, when I'm doing wrong, it doesn't help him spiritually. And, and then I think about how I, and myself, I choose other people before me. I'm trying to be more like that. Let other people step for me, and when I sin, I'm not helping that guy out. And I, I think that this is what I don't want to be, is this hot-tempered man. It's a very good point. You're exactly right. Because in the same way other people influence us, we influence people. And when our behavior is bad, then those that are closest to us are going to tend to imitate what we do. That's a very good point, Matt. I agree. Other thoughts? Proverbs 13, 20 said, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Similar thought. Yeah. Except though, there's a positive side to that too. If we choose to hang around the wise, it will rub off on us as well. Yes. It is really important to choose our closest friends and those we spend the most time wisely. But it is also worth thinking about how are the people who spend the most time with us affected? Rawl? And then when you when you think that you know okay, wise men is okay, I mean, sometimes you think that oh this person this person might have you know degrees a professor he's uh, this and that and you might think okay this got to be wise you know and you, if you look at it you know with the you know humanly with with our eyes okay he got all this degree then he must be he must be you know the guy to go you got go after. Well, sometimes it's not, it doesn't work like that, you know, sometimes it, the, the, the worldly knowledge can be more, even more confusion and, you know, it can be more stress and all sorts of stuff. What he meant by the wise man is people who feel God, you know, people who walk with you, you know, whether they might not have a lot of degree, they might, they might, they might not even know, you know, they might not pass a high school, whatever the case might be, but if they fear God and if they walk with, you know, what the Bible said, they said that they, they ought to do, then that's, that's, that's a good company for me. That's a good, a good company for me. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I mean, we got to think about true wisdom and not the false worldly wisdom. Cameron. Going along with that, um, about man's knowledge, when I was down at the lectures this year at Florida College, there was, um, I think his name was Antoine Holloway. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. We had a lecture, and he had this section on man's wisdom, and I just really love that he like said things like, "If I give you cookies and milk, but the glass breaks and the milk goes away, then I'm just giving you cookies. That's man's knowledge. And <laughs> what is man's knowledge? It sounds good, but it's not worth it. Man's knowledge is not worth it. The man who sleeps on the floor doesn't fall out of bed. Well, of course he doesn't. He's sleeping on the floor. And we are the people that we think are smart, like you were saying, but we need to go to the one who is smart. We need to go to God and find the knowledge there. 
You need to hear the lecture, I'm sure. <laughs> no, but good point. You're exactly right. And we do tend to get too impressed with things that really are nothing. They just look good. They sound good. Or they've got credentials that impress us. But if it's not from God, forget it. Other thoughts? All right, how about the next one? Uh, 26 and 27. Do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become sureties for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take your bed from under you? This is co-signing the loan again. And you do that, and you think, well, you know, it's just a signature. It's not going to make any difference. But what happens when the guy doesn't pay? You co-sign the loan. You have to pay. What happens if you don't have enough money to pay? You have to pay anyway, so they take your bed out from under you. You're laying on the floor. <laughs> See? We're all these ties together. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, and that's kind of a way of, what we'd say is, you know, they'll take the kitchen sink. You know, that's, it's just saying, man. You're going to end up losing something you desperately need because you rashly and unwisely made yourself responsible for somebody else's financial dealings. Dumb move. It's not smart to do that because you are not in control of the repayment of that debt. You can't make the other guy pay it. You put your name on there. They don't care whether that other guy pays it or not. They'll come after you. You got money, you gotta pay it. So just be really smart about that. Sometimes we don't want to be mean. We want to be a nice guy. They're begging us. And 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 well, you're my friend and I really need this and all that. Uh, that's all fine and good until they don't pay and you have to. <laughs> you know. So be careful be careful about that. Does this actually like come up regularly? Like I don't really know situations. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a lot of kinds of situations where it does. Uh, I think it especially comes up in families. Uh -huh. I knew a guy who, like, I think more than once, had co-signed car loans with his brothers to help them out. His brothers were not responsible. He ended up paying off their cars. I know parents who have very foolishly done that with their irresponsible adult children and because the children needed it. And so they end up paying. I knew one guy who was paying off cars, I think, of two different kids of his, you know, because they wouldn't pay it, and he co-signed the loan, you know, things like that. I think it happens sometimes among friends, but it's especially common to ask a relative, you know, because you kind of feel like you deserve that. So I don't know, do some of you have other scenarios in which that's common? So I've known several in those situations. <coughs> All right, uh, 28. Do you ever know the ancient landmark which your fathers have set? Yeah, which means don't try to grab their land by moving the boundary lines of the property to where you've got more for yourself. Be fair and ethical. Don't cheat. That was a big thing for them. Obviously, that's, we do surveys and things like that. But, you know... The idea is don't do something unethical to get more for yourself. Be honest. 
Comments? Guns against the Ten Commandments, do not steal. That's exactly right. It is a form of stealing. It doesn't seem quite as bad as armed robbery, but why is it different? You're taking something that doesn't belong to you, a part of their property, because you moved the boundary line. There's so many ways of cheating people that to us don't seem like stealing, but it is exactly what it is. Every sin is equal in God's eyes. Yeah. And, and stealing things in a civil way is still stealing them. It could be one way you rob the poor from earlier, perhaps. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's, it's easy to take advantage in, in unjust ways and figure out a way to make it seem okay to you. And 29. Yes. So how can you get a promotion? Work hard. Work hard and? Good at work well. Work well. Have skill. Do the job effectively. You know, how many times do you hear somebody say, you know, the, the, the boss and the supervisors of my, of my work are just really unfair. They just promoted somebody else and they didn't promote me. You know, they just play favorites and they just promote the people they like. Woe is me. <laughs> well, sometimes that's true. There are times that they may promote the one who had an affair with them or something like that. But you know there's a whole lot of times when there's more behind it than that. The other guy's doing their job better than you are. They're getting more done. They're working more wisely. They show up on time. You know, things like that. We blame it on, well, they're just not fair. They're just playing favorites. But it may very well be it's because I am not productive like they are, but we always want to blame something other than ourselves. Overall, in business, they want to get the job done. If you're doing the job well, they're probably going to tend to promote you because they want the job done well. They've got a self-interest in doing that. If they promote the incompetent person, it's just going to end up hurting them. So don't just jump to the conclusion that they're just playing favorites. Look at yourself. Do you really need to do better? Comments and thoughts on all that? A lot of practical value in Proverbs. All right, chapter 23, verses 1 to 3. This one's interesting. 